Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you are all here with us. Now, we are in the book of Judges. And, uh, boy, if you missed last Wednesday, Hoochie Mama, huh? That, that was a, whoa, yo! Woo! You got it. If you didn't get that, you got to get it. Is that posted on the website? Is that just audio or also the video? We don't do video too? Not Wednesday? How come? Is that like a, a problem? No? Just nobody told you to do it? I'm telling you to do it. All right? With a shirt like this, man, I, as much money as I pay for this shirt, I want everybody to see it. So get those things posted up, man. It's cool. That, there's a powerful story. You know, if you missed it, man, at least get the, get the CD and listen to it. It's a powerful story. I mean, like, wow. And this, this man who, in, in Judges, the 19th chapter, um, self-centered, little narcissistic snot, who was not much of a man, and when trouble came to him, he throws his wife, concubine wife, whatever, it's all kind of synonymous here, uh, throws her out to the guy, say, here, you, you go rape her. And uh, so they have, her, have their way with her. Uh, he opens the door the next morning, and she's laying there on on the on the threshold of the of the house. Her hands up on the threshold. I mean, she probably was trying to bang, trying to get back in. This guy never opened the door. I mean, this guy was a pig of a man. And he opens up the door, and the Bible says he looks at him and says, "Come on, get up, let's go." No, oh my God, are you okay? No concern for the welfare of of her being after all that. I'm telling you. This is just sad. Unbelievable. Well starting Sunday man. I'm going to be teaching on. The value that women have. And how important it is to treat women in a, in a great way. It, it's going to be some really powerful stuff. You don't want to miss it. Uh, for Sunday next couple of Sundays. But uh, anyway this guy. Goes down and says you know come on let's go. And she's dead. So then he gets mad. Because that's his property. Again, another twisted, sick viewpoint. Women are not your property boys. Uh, but that's the way they thought about it in these days. And uh, so he's outraged that his property got ripped off. So he cuts her up in 12 pieces and sends the pieces to the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, you know, everybody freaks. You know, you start getting body parts in the mail. It's like, whoa, what is this? You know. So... Um, Everybody gets all upset and they gather around. And say, what in the world is all this about? No one's ever done. What, what, what happened? Why, why is this woman cut up? What, what, what is this all about? So we pick it up in, in Judges verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 4. So, this, so the Levite, the husband of the murdered woman, this guy, said, I and my concubine came to Gibeah in Benjamin to spend the night. During the night, the men of Gibeah came. There were, the Bible talks about evil men came uh, there came after me and surrounding the house intending to kill me. What they wanted to do was rape this guy. You know, uh, here's a new guy. Let's, we want to have sex with him. They're banging on the door. Sound like Sodom and Gomorrah. Same kind of scenario. Banging on the door. And instead of, um, you know, manning up, he throws the girl to him. So, so they raped my concubine. Yeah, you threw her to him. Didn't mention that. And she died. Well, then I took my concubine, cut her into pieces, and sent one piece to each region of Israel's inheritance because they committed this lewd and disgraceful act in Israel. 
Now all you Israelites speak up and give your verdict. Well, all the people rose as one man, one voice saying, none of us will go home. No, not one of us will return to his house. But now this is what we'll do to Gibeah. We'll go up against it as the lot directs. We'll take 10 men out of every 100 and from all the tribes of Israel and 100 from every 1,000, 1,000 from every 10,000 to get provisions for the army. Then when the army arrives at Gibeah and Benjamin, uh, it can give them what they deserve for all this vileness done in Israel. So all the men of Israel got together and united as one man against the city. So they all got uh, really upset that this happened. And justifiably so. And remember, these guys, evil men of the city, came and made this big ruckus. And I asked this question last week. Where were the good men? Where were the good men of the city saying, hey, what what are you doing, man? And the old saying, all that evil needs to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And too often, uh, good people keep their mouths shut when outrageous things go on. And uh, so they basically are coming together. Now they're going to hold all of the, the tribe of Benjamin responsible for what happened here. Because they could have done something. They didn't do anything. So the tribes of Israel sent, through, uh, sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin saying, What about this awful crime that was committed? Now surrender those wicked men of Gibeah so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. So we want you to gather those guys that did that. Send them out. We are going to kill them. For this horrible, disgraceful act that they did. But the Benjamites wouldn't listen to them. We're not sending them out. You know. Now why wouldn't they? Probably, this is a total guess, but probably because they were of significant men in the community. I mean, why would you put your neck on the line for people nobody cared about? Well, it reminds me of a lot of churches, man, you know. If you're an elder or a deacon or something like that, you can get away with all kinds of nonsense in churches. And the church won't touch them. Church won't touch them. These guys, I'm telling you, it is outrageous. And I tell you, in this church, I don't care what your status is. You act up, boy, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. You know, there's people, you know, just because they got money. You know, maybe these guys had a lot of money. You don't touch the guys with money in the church. You don't challenge the guys with money in the church. I don't care. I don't care. We're not going to play those kind of games. You're not going to use your status in the community. The fact that you have money. The fact that you're something that you think you're not or that you've been and I've been part of this congregation for 37 years. My great-grandpa helped start this church way back in the beginning before we built this building. I could care less. But it's outrageous how many guys, and I'm sure you've, if you've been around church for a long time, you know you've seen these things. They won't touch them. They won't touch the guys who, you know, got the dough. They won't touch the guys who are, you know, they've been elders in the church for a while. They don't do all this kind of nonsense. And I think it's outrageous. So these guys obviously rallied against these evil men, no doubt, because they were men of influence. Instead of doing the right thing, they tried to protect themselves. Well, from their towns, all the Israelites came together to give you the fight against, or, or all the Benjamites came to fight against the Israelites. So anyway, you can read the story on your own. They have this big battle, okay? And they kick the Benjaminite, Benjamites' butts, big time. They set up a trap for them, uh, lure them out, boom, you know, just wipe them out. Uh, we pick it up at verse 46. On that day, 25,000 Benjamite uh, swordmen fell. Uh, actually, there were other thousands before that, if you, if you read. I mean, they're, they're dropping like flies here. Tens of thousands, they're just dying. Wow, they are cutting them down to pieces. And it says, on this day, the 25,000 swordmen died. All of them were valiant fighters. 
But then 600 men turned and fled into the, de- into the desert to the rock of Rimon, uh, where they stayed four months. Now remember that because we're going to come back because there's, there's, there's really, there's only 600 men left of the entire tribe of Benjamin. That's how many people get wiped out. And not only kill all the men, it says, then the men of Israel went back to Benjamin and put all the towns to the sword, including animals and everything else they found. Now you got to understand that included women and children. These guys went nuts. Now, this is an extremely violent time in Israel. The whole book of Judges is, is the equivalent of the Wild West in the Bible. These guys were disobedient. They weren't listening to God. They weren't following the scriptures. God didn't tell them to do any of this nonsense. And they're constantly taking these vows. We swear to God that we're going to do this. We swear to the Lord we're going to do this. And they get themselves in all kinds of trouble. And uh, they basically completely wipe out uh, anything that's left of the Benjamites except for the 600 guys that escaped. Well, verse uh, 1 of chapter 21, the men of Israel had taken an oath. Again, they're always swearing. Swear to God, I swear to God, I swear to God. And they, they would take their oaths very seriously. By the way, you should not be swearing to God. Jesus said that your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to be making vows and making all these heavy commitments uh, to God. You know, just do what you say you're going to do. Be a man and a woman of integrity. You don't make, gotta, you get yourself in all kinds of traps and condemnations with all these heavy vows. So he says, not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. So they're so mad. First of all, I don't, you know, how mad do you got to be to get into a bloodbath like this and still be foaming at the mouth? I mean, these guys were nuts. The blood flowed like water and then they make this vow. None of us are going to give any of our daughters, because they just wiped out every woman in the entire tribe. And they're so angry they make this vow. Um, so anyway, jump down to verse 6. Now, <laughs> these guys are bizarre. They're very sick. They're very violent. They're very twisted. They're not acting in biblical ways really at all. Uh, so after doing this, they finally they've calmed down. And in verse 6 it says, Now the Israelites grieved for their brothers, the Benjamites. Hello? You just killed them all. And you wiped out all their women and children. And they sat down and now they're sad. <laughs> Today, one tribe is cut off from Israel. Now, then they realize, you know, and I'll tell you what. If that is not the kind of thing that happens in sin. You sin, you do something stupid, and then the weight of what you did hits you later. And you feel just awful. A lot of people, some of y'all just on that treadmill, man, doing the sin, getting all caught up in your emotions, getting angry, lustful, whatever the deal is, do something wrong, then you feel bad, and then you repent, and and it's cool, God will forgive you, you can stay on that treadmill as long as you want, you're not going to get very far, but it's time to get off the treadmill, man, don't get stuck in that silence, Paul said, man, it's time to lay away, get rid of every weight and sin that keeps tripping you up, let's run, man, let's move forward, so anyway, now they're sad, now, They've been the 12 tribes of Israel. Now there's going to be 11. And it hits them after all these hundreds of years of tradition that they've had. And uh, they're in tears and they're upset. They said, how can we provide wives for those who are left since we have taken an oath by the Lord not to give any of our daughters in marriage? Then they looked around and said, which one of the tribes of Israel failed to assemble before the Lord? They'd call this big meeting. Everybody's supposed to show it. And then he discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. <laughs> so, 
for when they counted the people, they found that none of the people from Jabesh Gilead were there. So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and not say, hey, where are you guys? But to put them to the sword. Kill them. Including the women and children. These people are out of their minds. I'll tell you what. You get an invitation from these people to a party. Man, don't be late. (laughs) They're going to kill you. So now they're upset. Because the one tribe's gone. And now, who's messing around here? Go and kill a whole lot of them. So this is what you're to do, they said. Kill every male and every woman who's not a virgin. So every woman who's married. Every widow, anything. So they kill every male and every woman. But for uh, the virgins, okay? So they found the people... Uh, so they found among the people living in Jabesh Gilead 400 young women who had never slept with a man. And then they took them to the camp at Shiloh in Canaan. Then the whole assembly sent an offer of peace to the Benjamites at the Rock of Ramon. Remember, this is where these guys were hiding out. So what they're saying now is a, is a peace offering. Hey, uh, come here. We got some girls for you. <laughs> what a bunch of psychos. Now, I don't know, Jabez Gilead apparently wasn't a whole tribe. They didn't bother wiping these guys out. But they were worried about Benjamin. So, the Benjamites returned at that time. They came and they were given the women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared. But there weren't enough women for all of them. Now, this is a problem. The women grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a gap in the tribes of Israel. The Lord... The Lord. That's something you got to be a little bit careful when you read the Old Testament. Everything that happened was the Lord. Good or bad. Evil or, and you've really got to filter that because these, this was their viewpoint. Remember, this stuff was written thousands of years ago during a very dark time. And there's, a, there's some people even today, they think that everything that happens is God. You know, they get cancer. Why did God give me cancer? You know, their, their child dies. Why did God take my child? Hello? God didn't do that stuff. This is a very primitive viewpoint of God. People, you know, pagans out there. If there's a God, why are there wars? (laughs) Because there's a devil. (laughs) Because there's sin. Because there's arrogant, evil men in the world. You know, somehow, it's all laid at God's feet. You know what I'm saying? You know, that's how simplistic their thinking was. God did not do this. They did this. And they weren't listening to God. They're off going off all crazy and they're all their anger and frustrations so anyway they're all sad and the elders of the assembly said the women of Benjamin with the women of Benjamin destroyed gee I wonder who did that uh, how shall we provide wives for the men who are left so they're upset because what there's 200 guys yet who don't have wives so the Benjamin survivors must have heirs uh, it's, uh, this is so dysfunctional you know and I guess you see this you know, people get in dysfunctional relationships and do some of the goofiest things you guys have seen this you know Women who their husbands just beat the snot out of them, but they can't leave. Or some people empowering, some of y'all don't be doing that, empowering people to act very badly and stuff. It's just dysfunctional, psycho, crazy wackiness, and it doesn't even make sense. Now, this is at a very large scale, but dysfunctional nonetheless. You know, they're doing everything they can to get these guys girlfriends when they just about kill them all. How, How weird is this? So they said, well, we can't give our daughters as wives because we took this oath. We, we said, cursed be anyone who gives a wife to Benjamin. But look, there's the annual festival of the Lord in Shiloh to the north of Bethel. 
And the east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so they instructed the Benjamites, say, go hide in the vineyards and watch. And when the girls of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, then rush from the vineyards and each of you grab one. He's got like cavemen for crying out loud. And then when their fathers or brothers come complaining to us, we will say, well, just do us a kindness by helping them because we did not get wives for them during the war and you are innocent since you did not give your daughters to them. It's not your fault and stuff like that. So anyway, they're basically playing games. Okay, they're just playing games. They say, well, I, we, you know, we, can't, we swore that we wouldn't do it. So yeah, I'll tell you what, the girls are going to come out. They do this little dancing jig, you know, over here, you know, just south of De Pere. And then, you know, De Pere, celebrate De Pere, you know. And then, and, and then what you do is uh, just when the girls are boogie and stuff, you run out, grab them and take off and we'll go... Whoops. Okay, it's just game playing. And they're looking for, you know, people again, try to justify their lives, do whatever they can, trying to find technicalities to get around what might be right or wrong. And anyway, it's all completely nuts. Verse 23, so that's what the Benjamites did while the girls were dancing. Each man went and caught one. <laughs> I got one! Uh, and, and carried her off. Ooh, 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 ooh. You know. <laughs> so bizarre. Cared off to be his wife. Isn't that romantic? They had to be their wives. I just caught you. You're my wife. I caught you over there. What's your name again? How romantic is that, girls? Can I just light your heart up? Man, I wish some caveman had grabbed me. Then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled them. And that's how the tribe of Benjamin kept going. Blah, 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 blah. Okay? But it ends with this very telling verse. This is the final verse of the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as he saw fit. There was no standard. Whatever, whatever seemed right in their own eyes, the King James Bible says. Everyone did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Boy, if you don't see that spirit today. Doesn't matter what the Bible says. I think it's okay. Doesn't matter if I lie, cheat, steal, fornicate, commit adultery. My friends think it's okay. Your friends. You think, who cares what you think? I don't care what I think. Goodness gracious, my standard for what's right and wrong is not based on what comes through this brain. Such as it is. Man, my standard comes here. What God's, and, and this the reason they were so crazy and nutsoid is they had no standard there were no values there is no right and wrong and i'm telling you we're as close to that as any time i've ever seen in my life i'm not that old but goodness gracious it doesn't matter anymore doesn't and, and again i understand non-christians thinking it doesn't matter i mean that's the culture in which we live you know everything's game doesn't matter everything is legitimate any kind of union any kind of sexual situation is legit and i mean there's like no whole bars on anything you want to lie, cheat, and steal, you know, all that matters, can you prove it? Can you prove it? You know, OJ. Does anyone doubt OJ was guilty? You know, they can't prove it. The glove don't fit. You must have quit. And even the jurors said, well, they thought he was guilty, but they didn't think he proved it. It's all about what can you get away with? You can't prove it, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what I do, no matter how I act, no matter how I live, I think it's okay. And then the church comes along and we're so grace oriented in so many circles. We're not like that in this church. I mean, we believe in grace big time here, but not to the point that it turns into grease. You know, you can do anything. Doesn't matter. As long as you believe. 
Goodness gracious. I mean, it's, it's gotten crazy and it's gotten about as close to this. You know, everybody just does whatever is right in his own eyes. And no, 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 no. It's not about hating people. It's not about condemning people. Man, you could do anything. You could mess up virtually any way conceivable to man. And I will love you. This church will love you. We will help you. If you're willing to say, man, what I did was wrong and I want to make it right. And even if you fell 70 times seven in a day, we will be there with you and encourage you and help you walk through it. But yeah. But what we're not going to do is say, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you probably shouldn't, but it's okay. No. It's not just okay. Anyway, so there, there's the book of Judges for us. Like, wow, Hochi Mama, what a deal, huh? All right, now, I didn't know what I was going to do. I'm going to keep going here for a little bit because I want to follow this through. And uh, y'all still enjoying the Old Testament? We're going, f- we were just going to do Genesis in the beginning, but now we're in this. I can't stop! But uh, now comes the book of Ruth. Now we're about to see, it's a great little book. Uh, not a great amount of, there's no major doctrines or anything. Not, not a whole lot of life lessons from the book of Ruth. It's kind of this sweet little romantic story. Uh, and even that in romantic in, in this culture. And uh, it won't take us long to get through it here. But uh, it's significant because now the Bible is shifting its focus again. Remember, we started in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Where did everything come from? And we kind of filtered it through, and then comes Abraham. And then we get Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it kind of focuses to little Joseph, the younger son, because he winds up going to Egypt. That's how they all wind up in Egypt. Along comes Moses. Let my people go. Comes kicking butt and taking names. Gets them out of there. Takes them, tries to take them into the promised land, but they were such a mess. We read that whole story. Took them 40 years before they could get their act together, which would have, should have taken them like a couple of weeks to, to walk into the promised land. So eventually, then um, Moses dies. They go into the promised land. They take over. Da, 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 da. With Joshua, everything's great, fabulous. Praise God. And then everybody just does whatever they think they want to do. And that's the book of Judges. So that's just a big stinking mess. Now the Bible's now to take the focus again and... We know where the children, we know where the nation of Israel came from. They're now in the promised land. They're all established. They're a mess, but they're all established there. And now the focus is going to get very narrow. We're going to start focusing now again on one family. One family. And Ruth sets this up. The family we're about to focus on is the line of David. King David. Because from King David comes the line of the Messiah. That's why you read in the New Testament, the Gospels, where Jesus was walking and people would cry out to me, Oh, son of David, have mercy. And everybody knew he was a descendant of David. This was, this was part of the, the line. And Jesus was, came as the Messiah through the line of David. That All this was prophesied all the way down the line. So, so check it out. Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, all the insanity going on here there was a famine in the land of course these famines would come why because they were always disobedient would, would disobey god and then boom they would go and a man from where bethlehem does that sound familiar to anybody okay this is now the pointing the focusing to bethlehem this becomes the city of david remember when the uh 
Caesar came along uh, during the Christmas story and says everybody has to go back to the city of their fathers and Joseph went back because he was from the line of David. He went back to the city of Bethlehem. And this is where we get the focus now on this little town. So there's a man from Bethlehem in Judea together with his wife and two sons. So they leave Bethlehem and they went to live for a while in the country of Moab. It was like on the other side of the Dead Sea over there um, because of the famine. Now the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. And they were, Eph- they were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah. Tri- tribe of Ephraim. Uh, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And she was left with her two sons who married Moabite women in the area. One was named Orpah. Sounds like a killer whale. And the other was Ruth. Now after they had lived there for about 10 years. So they married these two girls and they lived there for 10 years. Uh, Both Malon and Killian also died. Everybody's dead now. All the guys are dead. Uh, I don't know what was in the water over there, but the guys are dropping like flies. Uh, and Naomi was left with her two, without her two sons and her husband. Well, when she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, so now God had come and delivered. I don't know exactly the time frame here, but who, what judge was coming? I don't know if it was Samson, I don't know if it was whatever the deal was. But uh, things turned around, and she heard now that there's food back in Israel. God's blessings were back there. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law is prepared to return home from there. Now, with her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So now they're getting ready to cross back over. Well, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown to your, to your dead and to me. They've been very good girls, very respectful. They've been very honorable. Uh, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. God bless you. You know, find another guy. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud and they cried and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. We want to stay with you. But Naomi said, return, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? And see, that was the tradition that if, if uh, uh, they married into the family, if one of the sons died and they hadn't had children yet, because apparently neither one of these girls had any children on all these 10 years, um, that the next son was obligated to try and sire children for them to keep the name of the uh, brother who had died. I mean, on and on and on. Well, they didn't have any of that. She said, return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have another husband, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to two sons, would you wait till they grew up? How creepy is that? Uh, would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. She's weeping. She's sad. Everything that she loved, her husband, her sons are dead. At this, they wept again. And then Op- o- Orpah <laughs> kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and she left. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And then Ruth replied one of the most wonderful uh, lines that you'll find in the Bible. You'll often hear these words uh, read at weddings 
and stuff like this because this is a wonderful commitment that this young lady had to her mother-in-law. We People read it at weddings as a man making a commitment to a woman, a woman making a commitment to a man. This was actually a daughter-in-law making a commitment to a mother-in-law is what happens, But which uh, I don't know how many of you would have done that. But anyway, um, she replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. That's the phrase. That's that in, in a beautiful little phrase. I mean, see, she so loved uh, this woman and made complete, total commitment to her. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. I mean, this lady... What a commitment, huh? So when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. So here they come. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Naomi's back. Don't call me Naomi, she said, which means pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me again. Um, that was their viewpoint. Anything that happens uh, was the result of God. However, I would say in this case, this probably was God's hand in her life because they brought him back for this very purpose to continue the line of David. So anyway, set it all up. So Naomi returned from Moab according to, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, and arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Do you know who Boaz is? I'm going to flop over real quick to Matthew, the very first chapter of Matthew. So this had to be early in the book of Judges. Oh, Mark, pay attention, pay attention. This had to be real early, but I'll tell you why. Because we're in the book of, uh, the book of uh, Joshua. They came into the promised land, and they were going to come down and bring down the walls of Jericho. There was a lady there who helped them. Remember her name? Rahab, the prostitute. She was the harlot. Well, check it out. In Matthew, the first chapter, verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. So this is the this is the son of Rahab the, of the harlot who had helped them, uh, uh, you know, when they first came into the promised land. So this is Boaz, pretty cool, huh? It's all coming together, which is interesting because you look in the line of 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 Jesus the Messiah, you have you have a harlot, uh, you have an adulteress. And I don't know what you'd call the uh, the other weird one where uh, this lady seduced her own father to get or, or uh, tricked her own father into conceiving a very very bizarre story. Um, Tamar, you remember her? We read that in, in uh, I believe it was in Genesis. I mean, it's not like everybody in the line of the Messiah was perfect. God loves imperfect people and can take even a big mess and make something amazing out of it. 
that's the great story in all of this. Okay? So anyway, so here's Boaz. Now, and Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I may fav- find favor. And Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. Now, the rule was in, in those days that if when you're out there and you're, you're bringing in the harvest or whatever, uh, that poor people were allowed to come and pick up what was left. Okay, they were able to glean whatever they could. They weren't supposed to refuse the poor. Uh, they were supposed to gather as much as they can, but whatever was left over, sometimes it was very, very, very little, but just whatever minimal things they could do, they were allowed to be able to do that. So she does that. She's, so she goes out there and she's gleaning. Uh, as it turned out, she found herself, as it turned out, I love this, she found herself working in a field belonging to who? Boaz, who was from the land, from the clan of Elimelech. Uh, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. How y'all doing? And the Lord bless you, they call back. And Boaz asked the foreman as he's looking around, who is the babe? Who's that? He goes, who's that? Catches, catches his eye. And the foreman replied, well, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. And uh, again, this is a very small community. I'm sure everybody knew, you know, all that. It is, well, that's that lady. And he probably, oh. So she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz goes and talks to her and says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. You stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've, I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Okay, now this is the closest thing you're going to find to flirting. Okay? In, 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 at this time. I mean, he's obviously got an eye on the girl. And so he goes and says, you know, don't, don't go to any other field. Stay here and hang with them. And if you need any water, just take whatever you want. And da, da, da. So, you know, she's no dummy. She knows... Ooh, he likes me. Well, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. That's what Debbie did when I first dated her. <laughs> I have a video somewhere, you know, an old film, eight millimeter. And, and she exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me a foreigner? And Boaz replied, well, I've been told about all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with me. See, he knew all this. Everybody knew what was going on. Uh, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come. I've heard you're a really, really nice person. That's why I'm doing this. Hogwash. He liked the girl. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. Uh, You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. In other words, your servant girls have more standing than I. I'm a nothing. I'm a nobody. Well, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Come eat with all of us. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. So she sat down with the harvesters and he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all she wanted, had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Okay, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull up some stalks for her from the bundles and leave it there for her. (laughs) So he's basically saying, okay, you see the chick when she's back there? Just start dropping stuff for her. He likes the girl. Okay, 
So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to an ephah, an ephah, which is about three quarters of a bushel. But it was a bunch. I mean, these people were, you know, all they were looking for were little bits to just get them by. So she carries it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. And Ruth also uh, brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough from the, from the meal. And her mother-in-law said, where, where have you been? <laughs> where have you been gleaning? Holy moly! You're making out like a bandit, babe! And where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you! And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Oh, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man, she knew who he was. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, let me explain that to you. The rule was that in the case of these guys dying like that, and they left property, that the nearest relative had the right to come and purchase the property. They had first dibs, okay? But if they bought the property, they also got the wife. All right? So when she said, Boaz, oh man, he's one of our kinsmen redeemers. So there's a chance. There's a chance is what she's saying to her. All right? So then Ruth the Moabitess said, well, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it'll be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, one day, Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you'll be well provided for? Is not Boaz with whose servant girls you've been a kinsman of ours? So she's now mom, mother-in-law, starts manipulating the situation and say, okay, let me show you how we can try and get this guy. So he says, tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Get dolled up. Smell purdy. Get as purdy as you can be. Then go down to the threshing floor. But don't, by the way, why would she do that? Because, you know, if you're going to go fishing, you got to get a worm. You know, you got to get dialed up. You got to do something. You know, I, I, I was talking about this down at, when we were taping the TV show. You know, a lot of women just say, you know, I'm, I'm trusting for the Lord to bring me a husband. I'm not trying to discourage you. I know a lot of you, I've heard a lot of you say that. But, but my encouragement is, you know, look, if you're going to go fishing, you got to go where the fish are. Okay? God can bless you and help you and guide you. But if you're living in a desert saying, I'm praying God's going to bring me a fish, I don't think so. Okay? So go out and do something. And by the way, and I'll, I'll just end with this because we'll pick up this next week and finish the story. It's kind of a cool story. Well, actually, it's a very cool story. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I had a guy write me the other day and he says, man, my wife, she never dresses up. She never puts on any makeup. She never does anything with her hair. I mean, he's basically whining and complaining and stuff like that. And, and uh you know, so I, I kind of tried to walk him through it, but then my encouragement to to the wife is, you know, come on, girls. I know to a lot of women they think, well, I shouldn't have to do that. I'm married to him, okay. But what 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 you're saying, what a woman is saying when she refuses to do stuff like that, is you're not worth the effort. It's certainly what a man feels, 
okay? He's not expecting you to be a supermodel babe, okay? But just to look nice. And a lot of women, and I don't know because they're acting out, maybe they're upset with, maybe she's, maybe he's a big fat stinking jerk. I don't know. We never got that far. I don't know what her thinking is. But, you know, it's interesting. When a woman really wants to send a message, she knows how to send a message. And by saying, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have to dress up. I'm already your wife. I shouldn't. And you know what's so weird about that is if the guy dies and she becomes a widow, you know what's the first thing that woman does? She'll lose 20 pounds, get a new hairdo and new clothes and da 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 you know, and all I said is just pretend he's dead now. <laughs> you know, show a little kindness for crying out, crying out loud, a little, hey, you are worth the effort. You know, da, 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 da. I know it takes time and all that kind of stuff, but for we, we like that stuff. <laughs> My little redhead down there. So, all right, that's all I have to say about that. We're done. Ushers, come on up. And uh, we will take up the offering tonight, and the band can come back up, and we will finish this out. It's, very, it's a very, very neat story here. Uh, again, not a whole lot of really deep Bible truth here, but it's just kind of neat how, uh, you know, God loves this whole thing, you know, the whole romance thing. And they get into this real neat situation where there's all this sexual tension. It's kind of a fun story. And uh, why does the Bible record stuff like this? Why does the Bible have a book like the Song of Solomon that's all about sex, sex, sex? Because God digs it. He thinks it's cool. He loves, he just thinks it's fabulous. He loves it all. Just do it right, is all he says. Just do it, do it the right way. And uh, because that's the best way to, to, uh, to do it, man. You do it right, it's absolutely fabulous. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your blessings this night. We thank you for your word. Help us to grow from it, to learn from it. And continue to open our eyes and give us insight, we pray, as we study your word. Uh, we ask you to bless these offerings tonight, Lord, as we come to honor you, God, in this place. And in this offering, what we're saying is, Father, we are going to return to you a portion of that which you have blessed us with. Use this money, we pray, for the advancement of your kingdom. Touch people's hearts and lives with this, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.